0: Chapter 29 of Jeremiah 15 to 32. Hear now the word of the Lord. Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in the city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I'm sending on them sword, famine and pestilence. And I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and pestilence, and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that are persistently sent to you by my servants, the prophets, but you would not listen, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord all you exiles who are sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Koleiah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in the name, or in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse, shall be used by all the exiles from Judah and Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, who the king of Babylon roasted in the fire, because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and they have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows, and I am witness, declares the Lord. To Shemaiah and the you shall say, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have sent letters in your name to all the people who are in Jerusalem, and to Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the the priest, and all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you, instead of Jehoiada, the priest, to have charge in the house of the Lord over every madman who prophesies, to put him in the stocks and neck irons. Now why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who is prophesying to you. For he has sent to us in Babylon, saying, Your exile will be long. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, send to all the exiles, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah of Nehalem, because Shemaiah had prophesied to you when I did not send him, and has made you trust in no the lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah, Nehalem, and his descendants. He shall not have any one living among this people, and he shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares the Lord, for he has spoken rebellion against the Lord. And thus ends the reading of the very word of God. America really has this love of these fake reality shows. Some of you are probably guilty of watching some yourself. Some are more real than others. From weddings, to home life, to pawn shops, to addicts to health, even to the absurd. A decade ago, I got a phone call from a relative that says you have to watch this new reality show about a towing company. I was like, what on earth? I should have thought to myself, this person also believes wrestling reels, so I don't know why I'm <laughs> listening to him. It was, a, it was an absurd show. Totally, totally fake. And the reality is, is the, the problem is it really probably took away from the real people who have to repo cars. That's a real thing in today's world. Probably a lot more going to start coming down the line. It's probably not as intense as people make it out to be. Why don't you think a little bit about Repo companies. Go to buy a car. You'll see it. It's not in the fine print. It's in the very clear print. They want you to know, if you don't make your payments, your car will be repossessed. Because you don't really own that car because you are making payments. The problem was with Judah is they thought they owned the land. They were just stewards of the land. And we come to a passage of Scripture where God is going to repossess His land. See, when there was a covenant made with them, the covenant was, as long as you live rightly. Don't they be perfect? God, said, God knew they couldn't be perfect. He gave them priests and He gave them a temple. God has always had a plan for sinners to live rightly with him. He knows we're sinners. He knew the blood of Jesus would put a tone for our sins. He knew that from the beginning. So he sets up ways, even for Judah and Israel, to be right with him, even though they're sinners. But yet at the same time he says, "You live holy in this land. Don't bring the idols in this land. Don't just check the box as they were doing, going to worship then they go home and they worship the Baals just in case they're real. God says, no, you live a certain way when you're in this land. And if you do that, I will protect you. I will love you. I will make sure no one else ever takes over your land. That's exactly what God did. That was the contractual agreement, the covenant that God made with Judah. Judah breaks this covenant. And Jeremiah is telling them, you broke the covenant, God's going to keep His promises, and God's going to reclaim this land. And what He's going to do is He's going to send you to Babylon, and that is where you will get your covenantal blessings. You mean not in Jerusalem where the temple is? You mean the land that was given to Abraham? No. You will get your blessings... By faith, in a land that is not your own. This is really what we're seeing in this passage. And there are people that are pretending to speak on behalf of God, telling people, no, 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 we need to go back to the land to get the promises. And Jeremiah is saying, no, that's not where you get your promises from. And if you're taking notes, we're going to see five things here. The first thing we're going to see is believing the lie. They clearly believed a lie. They believed a lie that false prophets were propagating. The second thing we'll see is rotten fruit. We heard a sermon this morning on rotten fruit. We're going to see it again here. Third thing we'll see is the cursing of the prophets. You never want your name to be used as a curse, trust me. The fourth thing we'll see is known by God. God knows everyone. Even those people mentioned once in the Bible, He knows them. And the fifth thing we'll see is this final warning. Believing the lie, rotten fruit, cursing of the prophets known by God in this final warning. As we think about believing the lie, something that's been coming up a lot lately is these people wearing hats that say make 1984 fiction again. It's as if people are living the Orwellian book out, 1984, right before our eyes. They believe the lie. This is what Orwell talks about people believing the lie. And if all others accepted the lie, which the party imposed, if all records told the same tale, then the lie passed into history and became truth. Who controls the past, ran the party slogan, controls the future. Who controls the present, controls the past. There was this lie being perpetually told over and over and over again to those in Jerusalem and to those in Babylon, that the exile will not last long. God's not that angry. He's not that angry. Listen to the prophets that you want to listen to. Look at verse 15 with me. Because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. We've been seeing this, that there were prophets in Babylon. Wherever God's church goes, There's always going to be false prophets who speak contrary to the truth of the Word of God. Here comes Jeremiah telling them, and you can read this in chapter 29, verse 5, Build your houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat produce, take wives for your sons and daughters. You trust me. You're going to be there a while. Verse 10, you're going to be there at least 70 years, an entire lifespan. Most of you will probably die in Babylon. And here comes the false prophets saying, It's not going to last that long. You'll be back in the land in no time, living the life you want to live, doing what you want to do. God's not that mad. Have you noticed that theme today? God's not that angry at sin. Love, love, love. Vodibachum would say the 11th commandment is, Thou shalt be nice, right? It's not true. God is mad. God hates sin. We see it in Christ. That's why Christ was punished for our sin. That's how serious He is. And and this lie that kept being perpetuated and they kept listening to it was very presumptuous. They thought of what happened 100 years before where the Assyrian army was destroyed. Look at the temple that we have. Look at the priesthood that we have. We can't be touched to the point of verse 16. Look what the Lord says, Thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in the city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. He brings up King David. Do you understand that when they looked in Jerusalem, they not only saw the temple of the Lord, they saw a king sitting on the throne of King David. Now I want you to understand Judah understood covenants. They lived in that world. We don't live in the same type of world they lived in. They understand covenants. They understand the Davidic covenant that God said, I will always have someone on the throne from the lineage of King David. Isn't it interesting how God does this? Oftentimes, He makes covenants with people Like Adam, you do your part, I do my part. Adam failed, so God followed through on his part, which was exile out of the garden. Same thing with the Mosaic Covenant and the land. You do your part. You live in the land rightly, and you can live here. But they seem to, couldn't hold up their side of the bargain, could they? But other times, God makes covenants, and he's the other party. Like with Abraham, he puts him to sleep and says, let me do this. I'll do it, right? I'm the one that's going to make you a blessing. I'm the one that's going to give you this land. I'm the one that's going to give you a seed. Or with David, oh yes, David, I will always have someone on your throne. They lived in this world. They understood covenants. And they looked at that Davidic covenant and they were like, well, there's still King David on the throne. We're obviously blessed, aren't we? They never could look past the here and now. All of their covenants, at least that Davidic promise, was realized as they live in the land. They, they didn't understand that it could, could mean more. They couldn't understand that it could be a blessing for the whole world. They didn't understand that it could ultimately be in Jesus Christ. They could never look past the here and now. And you'll see that with problems throughout A lot of passages, not just in Jeremiah, the whole Bible, too many people take it as the here and now, we have to have it right now, and God's like, no. God has different plans. God wants you to look past the situation you're in and look at eternity. God doesn't deal with the same timetable you deal with. And I want to just take time, and I wish I was there, but I'm not. I want to tell the people, and of course I probably would have been the person who wanted to stay in Jerusalem and was judged but I wanted to do you remember what happened to David though you were proud that you had a king that sat on the throne of David do you remember that God judged and punished his anointed that should be a lesson to all of us and it screams Jesus Christ The anointed son of David was punished for your sin and for my sin. We cannot just presume upon God and His grace. We can't presume just because King David is there that we won't be punished. They thought wrongly. Which brings us to the second part of the sermon is rotten fruit. Often laugh, you are what you eat. They've been eating rotten fruit. Bad theology over and over and over and over again. No wonder they have started to stink like rotten fruit. Very reminiscent of chapter 24, where Jeremiah has the visions of good fruit and bad fruit. The good fruit are the ones that are going to be in Babylon, and the bad fruit is going to be the one that's in Jerusalem. And that just, wait a minute, that, that just, that's just mind-boggling. You mean the good fruit, the ones that are blessed, will be... Away from the land, yes. And verse 17 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am sending on them, those in Jerusalem, the sword, the famine, and pestilence. And I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten, they cannot be eaten. It gets worse. I don't know if you've ever read Josephus and what happened in in the besieged in the city of Jerusalem wasn't very good. A lot of things happen when you read Josephus. In a siege of a city, people are starving to death. The stench is unbearable. They're eating things that you never thought in a million years you would eat. I won't even go into the horrific details. is the reason Jesus said, get out of the city. It's not going to be good. Verse 18, I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence. And I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them, because they did not pay attention to my word, declares the Lord, that I have persistently sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But you would not listen, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles, whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's telling the exiles... You will be the blessed ones. I'm going to make up a word, very Nahumic. (laughs) For those of you who are going through the Bible study on Tuesday mornings that Bobby leads with Nahum, very Nahumic. You will be the blessed one. God will judge. And he's telling the exiles, you'll be blessed to be in Babylon. It's not going to be so good. And you need to understand, as bad as it is, For those people in Jerusalem, with the pestilence, with the sword, with the famine, them they would eat bugs. They would eat people. I mean, it's terrible and horrific. God's not at fault. Remember, God said blessings and cursings in Deuteronomy twenty-eight. What do you want? If you follow me keep idols out of your land, get your heart right, you'll have blessings. If not, covenant cursings will fall upon you. But either way, this land will be holy because it represents me and it represents what I'm about. And God is not at fault. He kept sending them servants and prophets. But verse 19 says, they would not listen. I do not want you to think the doctrine of election lets you off the hook from not following God and not trusting in Christ. So the doctrine of election takes place in a covenant long before we ever existed and long before this world ever existed. The covenant redemption that God makes within the Godhead that Jesus Christ would be the one that dies for our sins. He will send His Son The Father will plan it. The Son will secure it. The Spirit will apply it. That happens long before the world's created. Those are things that we don't truly understand. But let me tell you what's really clear in Scripture. God says, you're to repent and you're to trust in Me. It's a commandment that He gives. And He's telling Judah, through Jeremiah's voice, I'm not guilty here. I keep telling people and sending people and telling you to repent. May your heart break for your sin and may you trust me. But they keep not listening. It is your responsibility to listen to the word of God. It is your responsibility to put your trust in Christ. As Rob would say, quoting R.C. Sproul, if you have any inkling at all, the tiniest atom to make one step toward Christ That's because God did that in your heart. But it is still your responsibility. And God is going to hold up his end of the bargain. And he's going to repossess this land. Which brings us to the third part of this sermon where you see the cursing of the prophets. Now, parents typically try to name their kids something grand. You're going to see a man named Ahab, probably named after King Ahab. Maybe not the best name to name. But anyway... Hoping he would be kingly. And Zedekiah, of course. Multiple men named Zedekiah, probably named after the king. These are two people that are very well known in the land. Probably popular. Very, very popular men. Many people believed them. Look at verse 21. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel concerning Ahab, the son of Koleiah. And Zedekiah, the son of Messiah who are prophesying a lie to you in my name, behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will strike them down before your eyes. These famous, popular men who are preaching peace, peace, peace. God's not angry. He's reminding the exiles. You remember these men who were speaking? Let me tell you what will happen to them. Verse 22. Because of them this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah and Babylon. This is a very popular saying in the day. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Did you know there was other passages that talks about fires? It just wasn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There were other people that got roasted. A lot of people got roasted. Zedekiah and Ahab got roasted. Why? Verse 23, because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and they have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows and I am witness, declares the Lord. It seems that they're telling people there's only going to be two years in exile. Don't build houses. Don't get comfortable. We'll be back in the land soon. Also, gave him a platform to take the neighbor's wives. Have you noticed that false prophecy and sexual sin go hand in hand throughout the scripture? I mean, you could watch any documentary and you could see some of that. False prophecy and sexual sin going hand in hand. They got roasted in the fire and, and they became infamous for this, it became a curse. Kind of like you telling somebody you're a Judas. You don't hear anybody named Judas anymore. There's a reason why. We all know what he did. That's a curse now. You're going to be like Zedekiah and Ahab, who the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Everybody heard about these famous prophets. God allowed them to to get famous. And then Nebuchadnezzar roasted them in the fire. You know, my mind went to the BCO. But if you think about a determent, one of the things that deters us from sin is seeing other people go through a discipline process. The BCO says that church disciplines for the glory of God first because any sin really is against God, right? First and foremost, it's not against me. Even if you sin against me, you sin against God first. But it's also to reclaim the unrepentant sinner You don't want the sinner just out there on their own. You want to reclaim them. You want their heart to change. You want them to be back taking the supper. You're loving one another. You're going to dinner. You're singing songs like we sing. But it also deters people. And God has ways of showing us examples of other people to deter us from doing the very things that we want to do. I don't know if your heart's like mine, but sometimes you have to think... Hope, I don't do that. Right? Take heed lest ye fall. This is what Ahab and Zedekiah was known for. They were roasted. And God used that to deter the other exiles from thinking they weren't going to live in the land that long. It deterred them from thinking, let's overthrow Nebuchadnezzar and come back into the promised land. No. Remember, Zedekiah and Ahab. <laughs> they got roasted for that thinking. Let's just stay here. In Babylon, build our houses and be a blessing to Babylon. Brings us to the fourth part of the sermon where we see that these men are known by God. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church plan. I see some of you have been here from the, from the very beginning. And if you were here in the very beginning, there were men that would stop into our office and they would tell us how great they are at Preaching. We're like, wow, you must be really good. Yeah, I think, I think you should probably <laughs> let me preach. Oh, wow. We don't even know you, but okay. Even most recently, in the past two or three years since Pastor David's been here, we've had people that say, here's some sermons we want to preach. just doesn't happen. a lot, really, really, really small. But even as you get larger, people seem to want to preach. There will always be men and women who want to go and do things that God has not called them to do. They want to be prophetic in that sense. And we say, is this new? Well, it's not new. Jeremiah was dealing with it. The exiles were dealing with it. It seemed that in the exile, there were men writing letters and saying that they were prophets of God. Look at verse 24. To Shemaiah, Nehalem, you shall say. This is what you should say to this man. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. You have sent letters in your name to all the people who are in Jerusalem and to Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, and to all the priests saying. So remember, he's, he's in Babylon. is in Babylon. He's writing to the priest and the leaders of Jerusalem. He wants them to do something. This is what he wants them to do, verse 26. The Lord has made you priest, speaking to Zephaniah, instead of Jehoiada the priest, to have charge in the house of the Lord over every madman who prophesies, to put him in stocks and neck irons. Now why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth who is prophesying to you? For he has sent to us in Babylon, saying, Your exile will be long, Build houses, and live in them, and plant gardens, and eat their produce. He's writing a letter to all the priests. Do you remember Pasher, who was the leader of the temple, who put Jeremiah in stocks? He obviously had this job. People had this job where if someone came into the temple and they were preaching something contrary or causing a ruckus, they would put them in stocks and put them in prison. That was their job. And Shemaiah is saying, do your job. You've got this crazy man named Jeremiah not giving hope. He's telling people they're going to be in exile for years, 70 years. He's writing a letter back as if he's speaking on behalf of God and he's telling these men, the leaders of the temple, do your job Put Jeremiah in prison. Shut him up. You can really summarize the book of Jeremiah as they're trying to shut him up. (laughs) Every opportunity someone gets to shut him up, they try, they try, they try. He's getting it from everywhere. They're telling him, why are you not doing your job? And the reality is, is though some of these names are, are popular names, God knows all these men, like Ahab, Zedekiah. You don't see him mentioned again, though. You've seen the names before. Oftentimes, when we think about God knowing people, we think of it in a good way. Remember Cortus in Romans sixteen. He was named number four. We don't even know who he is. Paul knew him, and God knows him. God knows everyone. As I'm reading these names of people who you'll never see again in Scripture, it seems that God knows the evil ones too. God knows the good. God knows the bad. He knows them all. Some of you should take comfort in that. It should scare some others. Either way, God knows. Which brings us to the fifth part is this final warning. Verse 29. Zephaniah, the priest, read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. So he gets this letter. He gets this letter and Shemaiah is telling the temple priest to put him in the stocks, to shut him up, do your job. And I don't know if Zephaniah the priest was a good man or a bad man. The way I read it personally, it seems to me that Jeremiah has friends in high places. That even there were some leftover men that were very loyal to Josiah and loyal to the law of God. That's how I read it. Some commentaries, there was a couple that said we don't know and they didn't give an opinion either way Jeremiah reads this letter and you gotta think people have wanted to kill him for a long time and now the false prophets in in Babylon are now writing to the people and Judah telling them to do their job kill Jeremiah and then the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah he says, Write them this, let them know this. Send to all the exiles, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah of Nehalem. Because Shemaiah had prophesied to you when I did not send him, and has made you trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord Behold, I will punish Shemaiah of Nehalem and his descendants. He shall not have anyone living among his people, and he shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares the Lord, for he has spoken rebellion against the Lord. I want you to understand that God was going to bless Babylon. He was going to bless the exiles in Babylon. Shemaiah. He's in Babylon and I want you to see that covenant blessings doesn't equal election. That's going to be really important because you need to see this throughout Jeremiah. Just because they're blessed covenantally, just because they're blessed in the covenant, it doesn't equal election. We see this man who clearly is a wicked man who wants people to kill Jeremiah. He's sitting up and... And Babylon. But doesn't mean that he's elected. And that's super important to understand that oftentimes when God blesses a nation, I think of America, I think we'd be foolish to think that we haven't been blessed. We're not perfect by no means. I don't know if I buy into everything, but it has to be something when people came over in a Mayflower with the Geneva Bible that John Calvin had a hand in. And they come to America, and they want to live rightly, and it seems that there was this great awakening because men were preaching the word in the 1740s and 50s, and it seems that God has blessed us, but we would be foolish to think that because people received blessings from God, that they were elected of God. That would be quite foolish. Foolish. That's the same thing that got Judah in trouble in the first place. Because they thought as long as they were Jews and they were living in the land and there was a temple and God had blessed everyone in the past and they were being blessed, that they were going to go and be with God forever in election. Do not see covenant as the same thing as election. One thing that we see right here is this prophet who wrote letters was not elect. He would perish and he would be destroyed. As we close, just as you remember a lot of absurd shows that are on TV now, John Calvin, when he read Jeremiah 29, thought it was absurd to know God's Word, to hear God's Word, but not obey God's Word. He thought there was a heinousness to hearing the word of God and then rejecting it. It's almost as if he, he didn't really understand how Judah could do this. He wrote, They hearken not to the word of the Lord, and this was the most grievous of all sin. Though ignorance is no excuse before God, because anyone, even they were without the law, they'll perish. Yet the servant who knew his Lord's will and did not do it shall be beaten with many stripes. And the more abundant God's grace is in calling us to the right way of salvation, the more base in our ingratitude when we close our ears and disregard the concern and care which He manifests for our salvation. Let us then know that nothing is less tolerable than rejection of the prophetic word. He's asking the question, Judah, you had everything. You hear the word, you saw it proclaimed, you heard the prophets, and yet you rejected it. This is the reason the punishment was so heinous. And when you think about covenants, it heightens. The more truth, the more responsibility. And we sit here today and we know a lot of truth. We hear a lot of truth. And my prayer is, that we will look to Christ, who is the answer. He's the one that Judah needed to see. He's the one that Jeremiah is speaking about. He's truly the one that will come in the new covenant and sit on the throne of David. He will be the one that does everything that Judah was incapable of doing. He's everything that we can't do. We cannot keep the law, but yet He comes and keeps it for us. I pray that we will look to Him. And praise him for who he is. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading and the preaching of his word